Welcome back to our study of 2 Kings. We are in 2 Kings chapter 9 in this session, and a couple of sessions ago, we saw Hazael kill the king of Syria and take his place. And in this session, we're going to see something similar with Jehu, who's going to be anointed the king of Israel. In fact, it's important for us to remember at the outset of this uh, session that back in 1 Kings chapter 19, God told Elisha, to me, Elijah, he said to him, And Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And he also mentioned uh, Hazael there in that passage, um, and also mentioned Elisha there in that passage. And in this session, we're going to see uh, this part of that uh, word from the Lord about Jehu. Um, coming to pass, right? So here we go, First Kings, excuse me, Second Kings chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Tie up your garments and take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth-Gilead. And when you arrive, look there for Jehu the son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, and go in and have him rise from among his fellows and lead him to an inner chamber. Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee. Do not linger. So Elisha gives this instruction to one of the sons of the prophets, right, that he is to go, uh, presumably on Elisha's behalf, right, and anoint Jehu the king of Israel, right? So verse 4 says, So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth-Gilead, and when he came, behold, the commanders of the army were in council, and he said, I have a word for you, O commander. And Jehu said, To which of us all? And he said, To you, O commander. So he arose and went into the house, and the young man poured the oil on his head, saying to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anoint you king over the people of the Lord, over Israel. And you shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, so that I may avenge on Jezebel the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab every male bonder free in Israel. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. And the dogs shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel, and none shall bury her. Then he opened the door and fled. So this man anoints Jehu to be king over Israel, and then he tells him what is going to happen, right? What he's going to do. Verse 7, you shall strike down the house of Ahab. Uh, so that I may avenge on Jezebel the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord. So this goes all the way back to Ahab and Jezebel. Remember, Ahab was king over Israel in the days of Elijah the prophet. Ahab um, married Jezebel, and remember there was idolatry in Israel. Those were the days when uh, Elijah faced down the prophets of Baal. It was Jezebel who said she was going to kill Elijah after he had slaughtered the prophets of Baal after his showdown with them on Mount Carmel. Jezebel is still alive at this point, um, but that's not going to be the case by the end of this chapter, right? And the anointing of Jehu is part of that. 
right? So um, all of that that he just said in verses eight and nine and ten, that's important and uh, for us to remember as we go through this chapter. Right now, verse eleven says, "When Jehu came out to the servants of his master, they said to him, Is all well? Why did this mad fellow come to you?' And he said to them, "'You know the fellow and his talk.' And they said, "'That is not true. Tell us now.' And he said, "'Thus and so he spoke to me, saying, "'Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel.' Then in haste every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, "'Jehu is king.'" Now remember, there is already a king of Israel, right? Uh, the king of Israel and the king of Judah had, uh, had been together uh, when we left them last at the end of chapter 8. And Jehu has now been anointed king over Israel by the Lord. And when he tells that uh, to these men who are with him, um, they don't uh, push back. They don't complain. They don't uh, reject that anointing. Uh, instead, they acknowledge it and they proclaim him as king. Right, uh, And then this is what happens next, verse 14. Thus Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Remember, Joram is the king of Israel. Now Joram, with all Israel, it says, had been on guard at Ramoth-Gilead against Hazael, king of Syria. But King Joram had returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that the Syrians had given him when he fought with Hazael, king of Syria. So that's just reminding us what was going on at the end of chapter 8, right? Joram had been wounded in battle at uh, Ramoth-Gilead, and then, so he had gone to Jezreel for healing. So Jehu said, this is in verse 15 still, If this is your decision, then let no one slip out of the city to go and tell the news in Jezreel. In other, in other words, we don't want the king of Israel to hear that Jehu has been anointed king of Israel, at least not yet. Jehu doesn't want that secret to get out and get to the king. Then verse 16, Then Jehu mounted his chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram lay there, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, had come down to visit Joram. All right, so Ahaziah, the king of Judah, is with Joram, the king of Israel. Jehu has just been anointed king of Israel, and he is on his way to the place where both of those men are, right? So this is going to be an interesting encounter. Verse 17, Now the watchman was standing on the tower in Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company. And Joram said, Take a horseman and send to meet them, and let him say, Is it peace? So a man on horseback went to meet him and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu said, What do you have to do with peace? Turn around and ride behind me. And the watchman reported, The messenger reached them, but he is not coming back. Then he sent out a second horseman who came to them and said, Thus the king has said, Is it peace? And Jehu answered, What do you have to do with peace? Turn around and ride behind me. Again the watchman reported, He reached them, but he is not coming back. Now, at that point, they probably have their answer, right? If it's peace, you would have sent back a response. Uh, the watchman goes on to say at the end of verse 20, And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. Right? So the, the watchman recognizes the driving of Jehu as he drives his chariot. He's driving furiously. Uh, one of my friends 
uh, loves to use the phrase uh, like Jehu through Jezreel. He's talking about somebody going through a place quickly, I think. And so uh, that's where this phrase comes from. Like like Jehu through, through Jezreel. He's just furiously fast going through Jezreel. Verse 21, Joram said, make ready. He, he figures it out. Joram uh, at least is on alert now. This does not sound good. And they made ready his chariot. Then Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, set out, each in his chariot, and went to meet Jehu, and met him at the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So this adds another layer of significance to what is going on here, right? Jehu has been anointed king to bring judgment on the house of Ahab and on Jezebel. And Ahab remember, was uh, wanted the field of Naboth, or excuse me, the vineyard of Naboth. And Naboth refused to sell it. And so Jehu, or excuse me, the, um, Ahab was upset. Um, Jezebel figured it out. And what did she do? She set it up where uh, Naboth was falsely accused and then put to death. And then Ahab came and took the vineyard. All right. So as Jehu is coming to where... Uh, to coming through Jezreel and Joram is coming out to meet him, they uh, encounter one another at the property of Naboth. All right, verse 22. And when Joram saw Jehu, he said, Is it peace, Jehu? He answered, What peace can there be so long as the whorings and the sorceries of your mother Jezebel are so many? Right, so Jehu throws down the gauntlet, right? There's no peace because of your mother, because of Jezebel, because of her uh, idolatry, her whorings, right? And her sorcery. <clears throat> Verse 23, Then Joram reigned about and fled, saying to Ahaziah, Treachery, O Ahaziah. Right, so now he knows this is trouble. Verse 24, And Jehu drew his bow with his full strength, and shot Joram between the shoulders, so that the arrow pierced his heart, and he sank in his chariot. Jehu said to Bidkar, his aide, Take him up and throw him on the plot of ground belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. For remember, when you and I rode side by side behind Ahab his father, how the Lord made this pronouncement against him. As surely as I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, declares the Lord, I will repay you on this plot of ground. Now therefore take him up and throw him on the plot of ground in accordance with the word of the Lord. So again, the connection to Naboth's vineyard here is very significant um, because Jezebel had had Naboth killed and Ahab, Ahab had taken his vineyard. <clears throat> um, uh, also, uh, this is what Elijah said to Ahab before, right, in response to his taking of Naboth's vineyard. Elijah said, Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. Of course, Elijah speaking for the Lord. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male bonder free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, The dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. So what is taking place right in this chapter is the fulfillment of, God, of things that God said 
um, about Jehu being anointed in 1 Kings 19 and also about judgment coming upon Ahab's house back in 1 Kings 21, which is where the story of uh, Naboth's vineyard is. And finally, uh, judgment is going to fall on Jezebel here in just a moment. But uh, first, let's continue with uh, this part of the story. Um, verse 27, when Ahaziah, the king of Judah, saw this, he fled in the direction of Beth Hagan. And Jehu pursued him and said, shoot him also. And they shot him in the chariot at the ascent of Gur, which is by Iblim. And he fled to Megiddo and, and died there. His servants carried him in a chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in his tomb with his fathers in the city of David. In the eleventh year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Ahaziah began to reign over Judah. So now you got two kings who've been killed by Jehu. All right, now, the judgment of Jezebel, verse 30. When Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out of the window. And as Jehu entered the gate, she said, Is it peace, you Zimri, murderer of your master? Now, this is interesting. Why does she call him Zimri? Why does she refer to him as Zimri? Well, <clears throat> perhaps she means to call him a traitor or a usurper because she says Zimri, murderer of your master, right? Um, but most likely she speaks even better than she knows because Zimri also fulfilled God's word as Jehu does. All right, so this is about Zimri from 1 Kings chapter 16. All right. In the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, the son of Basha, began to reign over Israel in Tirzah, and he reigned two years. But his servant Zimri, commander of half his chariots, conspired against him. So Zimri conspires um, against Asa. And it says, when he was at Tirzah, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, who was over the household of Tirzah, Zimri came in and struck him down and killed him in the 27th year of Asa king of Judah and reigned in his place. All right, so that seems to be what Jezebel is referring to. She calls Jehu, you Zimri murderer of your master because Zimri murdered Asa or killed Asa. Right? Then it goes on to say about Zimri, when he began to reign, as soon as he had seated himself on his throne, he struck down all the house of Basha. He did not leave a single male of his relatives or his friends. Thus Zimri destroyed all the house of Basha according to the word of the Lord. So Zimri was carrying out, whether consciously or not, right? Zimri was carrying out God's judgment when he did what he did. And so is Jehu. Now, Jezebel is probably not thinking of that, um, but whoever wrote uh, Second Kings was probably thinking of that and probably intends for us to think of that and make that connection as well. Verse 32, And he lifted up, Jehu lifted up his face to the window where Jezebel is and said, Who is on my side? Who? Two or three eunuchs looked out at him. He said, Throw her down. So they threw her down. And some of her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses, and they trampled on her. Then he went in and ate and drank, and he said, See now to this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. But when they went to bury her, they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. When they came back and told him, he said, This is the word of the Lord which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite. In the territory of Jezreel the dog shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as dung on the face of the field in the territory of Jezreel. 
so that no one can say, this is Jezebel. So that's a pretty heavy chapter, right? Pretty dark chapter in some ways. Uh, two kings are put to death. Jezebel is also killed. Um, and uh, what are we to make of this? Well, uh, this is happening, right? What's happening with Jezebel, what's happening with Joram. This is happening in fulfillment of God's judgment on the house of Ahab. Remember that Ahab uh, was wrapped up in idolatry. Ahab did things that were wicked. And um, the consequences for that are coming upon his house just as God said that they would. Right, so uh, earlier we saw, um, I think in, a, in chapter 8, we saw that God kept his promise to David in mercy, right? He preserved David's line in mercy. He kept his word that David would have a son on his throne. But God also keeps his word of judgment, the judgment he pronounced against Jezebel, the judgment he pronounced against Ahab. He also fulfilled and, and it seemed to take some time right God's promises often seem to take more time than we would expect or that maybe we uh, would like to see but God knows best God knows better than us of course and he is faithful right and he will do what he said um, so whether we're talking about uh, promises of judgment or promises of mercy we see over and over and over again God's faithfulness. God is trustworthy. God keeps his promises. God is consistent. Right? But here's also what we know. God is a God who forgives, who's merciful, who calls us to repent, who uh, offers forgiveness and salvation. Right? Also, God has told us what he's going to do in the future. Right? He has... Um, told us at least some of, right? It didn't lay out what's going to happen every day or every year or even every century, right? But we know the, the major outline of what God is going to do, right? God is going to send back his son. There's going to be a day of judgment, right? Christ is going to return. There's going to be judgment. Those who refuse to repent are going to be judged and condemned. But those who have trusted in Christ, there's no condemnation for us. And there's going to be peace and joy and righteousness and a new heavens and a new earth forever. We can count on him to fulfill his word. The key is to repent and trust him now, to trust his word, to build your life on his promises now. Because his promises are true and sure because he himself is faithful. God bless.